0: Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. There's been an increase in hate crimes in Hamilton. Another call to boost ODSP payments in Ontario. The Leafs stage an incredible comeback. There's a new book that highlights Hamilton's hiking trails. The next federal election could be the nastiest one ever. And should you mow your lawn in May or not? Find out next year on the GMH podcast.
1: This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML.
0: There's a new report out from Hamilton Police that shows that hate crimes are up dramatically from last year and that black, Jewish and LGBTQ plus communities are the most frequently victimized. Detective Fabiano Mendez is a hate crime investigator with Hamilton Police and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Detective Mendez, good morning, how are you?
2: Good morning, Rick. Uh, thank you so much for having me here.
0: Yeah, thanks for coming on to talk about this uh, important uh, topic. Um, as we've seen in the latest hate bias statistical report, there's been a spike in occurrences and, and hate crimes last year. What's going on? Can you put your finger on what is transpiring in this community?
2: Oh, absolutely, Rick. Um, so the Hampton Police saw a 61% increase in the number of uh, hate bias incidents and criminal offenses when we compare to the previous year. Um, in 2022 we had a total of uh, 174 hate-bias occurrences reported in the Hamilton police. Uh, The majority of the reported occurrences were directly related to racial bias, and then followed by religion, sexual orientation. Um, Unfortunately, last year, the black community, the Jewish community, and the 2 LGBTQIA community were the groups most um, frequently victimized. So this rising, in, uh, this rising trend in hate crime is disturbing because obviously it creates a fear within our community, um, impacts the sense of belonging, safety, and the well-being uh, for those within our community. And I think yeah, as a community, we need to do better.
0: Absolutely. What is being done from a policing perspective?
2: Oh, well, since 2019, we have taken... Uh, multiple um, proactive strategic steps to prevent hate-related occurrences and, to, and most importantly, encourage reporting and to provide uh, support for victims. Uh, we've been doing um, the presentations to community groups to increase awareness about the hate occurrences and reporting. We are providing enhanced support to victims of hate through follow-up uh, with our victim services. We have conducting training with all new recruits on understanding identifying and uh, investigating hate occurrences we have since developed a uh, new hate crime dashboard uh, that provides real-time data uh, regarding hate crimes and occurrences and uh, this enables us to uh, do focused prevention efforts we have expanded our online reporting to include uh, hate crimes and uh, we are currently working to establish a hate crime case review team uh, in response to hate motivated crimes in hamilton and uh, most recently, we're going to be uh, planning and we're going to be holding a hate crime symposium next month with community members to discuss issues uh, surrounding hate-related occurrences and uh, support to victims of hate.
0: Let's dive into that last topic. Where is this symposium going to be held? How can people attend?
2: We're going to be releasing the details soon to the public. Uh, It's going to be held on May 17th, and um, we're going to put a a media release out with all the details for the public to attend. Uh, It's going to be held downtown Hamilton.
0: You mentioned the dashboard info as well. Does that uh, tell you where these incidents are occurring and and where um, police should be directing their attention?
2: That's right, and that's one of the most the one things that we decided to develop last year: the dashboard. So that way we can uh, understand where exactly the hate crimes and the incidents are occurring, uh, where they're occurring, uh, who are the most frequent uh, target groups in that specific location, and that will give us a clear picture of what's happening. So we can develop the strategic efforts uh, with the education or focus for prevention efforts in specific areas.
0: Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Detective Fabiano Mendez, hate crime investigator with Hamilton Police. We're talking about the latest uh, hate crime analysis uh, that shows that uh, the black, Jewish, and LGBTQ plus communities are the most frequently victimized, and we've seen a 61% increase year over year in hate and bias uh, occurrences and crimes in this community. You mentioned that there's, there, there might be some increased reporting now and again, but in, in, as a whole, there's a lot of hate crimes and hate and, and, and bias incidents that are not reported to police. Do we know why?
2: Yes, there are several reasons why police, uh, people don't report um, hate occurrences uh, to, to, to police. And that's, uh, just for give example, People might feel that uh, the crime was not important or the chances of policing, apprehending the suspects are low. Sometimes the victims may see the incident as a personal matter since it may involve a family or colleague. Uh, There might be a feeling of blame or embarrassment about being targeted. Um, The victim may not understand that they have been victimized or that they try to solve the issue themselves. And obviously, it's important to mention that previous negative experience with police and judicial system, whether it's here in Canada or overseas, may also affect um, the willingness of uh, an individual to report to police. And, uh, and because of this, we, we continue to engage with community members to increase awareness and the willingness of people to report hate crimes and incidents. And. Uh, it's her desire to, to change this and to be part of April Blue Solutions.
0: Well, and, and one of those changes happened very recently. You know, there has been a trust factor or trust issue between the LGBTQ plus community and Hamilton Police. Now we have a, a liaison officer between these two communities to to bridge that gap. And that's an important step to, you know, bring this to the community and make sure that when these occurrences happen, that they must be reported to police.
2: Well, absolutely, and uh, those are one of the steps that we're taking, right? And uh, bringing victim services uh, um, uh, to the picture as well to provide additional support to victims. And uh, and uh, I was doing in my role as a hate crime investigator, I'm not working solo. I'm working with the liaisons, as you mentioned. I'm working with EDI specialists, community relations coordinator, and uh, I think it's uh, that way we can provide a wraparound service to victims.
0: Detective Mendez, we'll have to leave it there. Uh, Thank you very much for your time today and thank you for keeping our community safe.
2: Thank you so much, Rick, and thank you for having me here.
0: That is Detective Fabiano Mendez, hate crime investigator with Hamilton Police. More details on this topic online at 900CHML.com.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: Big day on uh, Queen's Park today on uh, the provincial legislature because members of the Ontario Disability Coalition are holding a rally today to demand that the government take concrete action to support disabled individuals in this province. Anthony Frazina is the founder of Above and Beyond and the Volunteer Director of Media Relations with the Ontario Disability Coalition and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Anthony, good morning, how are you?
3: Good morning, Rick, how are you?
0: I'm good, I know we were uh, texting back and forth last night. Did you get any sleep after the Leafs game, first and foremost?
3: Absolutely not. I'm running on fumes right now, (laughs) but I love every minute of it, my friend. I'm in Toronto right now.
0: I'm with you, I'm with you. Uh, Let's talk about what's happening at Queen's Park today. What is the focus? I'm sorry? What is the focus of what's happening at Queen's Park today?
3: Absolutely, yeah. So we are heading to Toronto to host a rally for people on ODSP to uh, rally the government that, uh, and I'll use my scenario for example, that twelve twenty is not enough to live on. Uh, uh, Mind you, I also work as well, so my money is uh, clawed back. And it's really uh, about thrival for people with disabilities rather than just, you know, scratching the surface to survive.
0: Yeah, this is all about ensuring disabled people can live with dignity and respect. But the question is, is the province listening, Anthony?
3: The province, uh, there's a lot to be desired when it comes to uh, the support for people with disabilities. I mean, the 1228, for example, for someone who just relies on that money alone, it's the question of having a roof over your head, you know, food, Shelter, uh, miscellaneous activities. I mean, it's really not nearly enough. So the government really needs to uh, put more support towards the uh, persons with disabilities in the aspect of uh, thriving.
0: Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Anthony Frazina, founder of Above and Beyond, volunteer director of media relations with the Ontario Disability Coalition. And the coalition is going to be holding a rally today at Queen's Park. It begins at 11, calling on the province to do more to support disabled individuals in this province. There wasn't much in the 2023 budget, was there?
3: No, not at all. And and we look back to the pandemic uh, for example, you know, people were on serve, and you know that was two thousand dollars a month. That for people who couldn't work, yet we have people with disabilities who are unable to work, making uh, at minimum twelve twenty-eight. So it kind of begs the question of how we are looking at people with disabilities as a whole.
0: Now there was a five percent increase to ODSP, but that is clearly not, there not enough.
3: There was a an increase towards the end of last year with coming in the next few months. But again, Rick, that's, that's really not enough when it comes to uh, the extra amenities to support people with disabilities, whether it be medical appointments, whether it be care, caregiving. All of those incidentals add up to the quality of the who requires such needs.
0: And that's really been erased by the high inflation that we're seeing. How, how are people getting by?
3: You know, it's, it's a tremendous struggle. I mean, it's, it's hard for people to get by because they are, you know, having to make those choices. You know, is it a roof over your head? Is it, you know, new clothes or clothes, for example? You know, it's, it's people, you know, having to shop at the grocery store. It's simply it's just not enough.
0: Added to that, you know, rents have gone up. You know, the price of homes in this community are out of reach for many already. Um, is the call to double ODSP, is that what you guys want to see?
3: The call is to double ODSP, to, to put in the fact, uh, Rick, that people with disabilities, you know, want to get out there. Want, we're not here to, get to exist. We're here to make an impact. And, and the government, you know, doubling on ODSP, ODSP will help us do that.
0: Now, beyond this rally, what kind of conversations are you having with local MPPs or even local MPs to move this ahead?
3: Absolutely. Rick. There's a lot of conversations uh, going with uh, MPs, local MPPs, uh, and, and they continue to hear us, but we're we're hoping that they start to listen to us and actually implement the needs that people with disabilities require, not only to surpass survival, but to go into thrival mode and really... At the end of the day, when we come to uh, supporting people with disabilities, it it comes back to the economy, it comes back to the community at large because you're really doing more and providing more prosperity for people in community.
0: No, you're exactly right. Uh, Anthony, we wish you good luck today at Queen's Park. Hopefully the rain holds off until later on and after the rally. Uh, Good luck with us.
3: Thank you so much, Rick. Go, Lees, go.
0: You got it. Anthony Frazina, founder of Above and Beyond, volunteer director of media relations with the Ontario Disability Coalition. I should apologize for the audio quality. Anthony was on the GO train heading to Toronto as we speak to get ready for this morning's rally. So we wish him and uh, the group the best of luck. Um, Yeah, 11 to 1 at Queen's Park. And, you know, they've they've made this demand before. I, I believe this is the fourth ODSP rally at Queens Park, and there has been very incremental increases. Uh, really, the only the only one has been the five percent boost that the government gave about a year ago to say, "All right, we'll raise it five percent." As I mentioned, that's really been wiped out by inflation. You know, inflation last year at around this time is about eight percent. Now it's hovering at around you know four, four and a half, five percent, which has eaten away at uh, at that increase. That's for sure.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. From 900 CHML.
0: Leafs and Lightning. We're trying to get a hold of Dave Anderchuk, who I, I'm assuming might be a little disheveled this morning. I know he once played for the Maple Leafs, and once starred for the Maple Leafs, scored 50 goals in a season, but he is currently employed by the Tampa Bay Lightning as the Vice President of Corporate and Community Affairs, and maybe he's just trying to avoid the conversation of last night's collapse at the hands of the Maple Leafs. This, this came out of left field. It came out of left field because when was the last time that the Maple Leafs, this this team that it has perfected the implosion, when is the last time it forced an opponent to implode and crumble and not get the job done? Well, let's bring in the the man who once starred for the Blue and Whites in both Toronto and Tampa Bay, Dave Andrew Tuck. Dave, good morning. Welcome to Good Morning Hamilton. How are you?
4: I'm doing well. Good morning.
0: Uh, that game was nuts. What uh, what are some of your takeaways from last night's extraordinary comeback by the Maple Leafs?
4: Yep, and it happens in playoff hockey, right? Like you just you never put a team away and we've seen it through a bunch of series now this year and in years past that uh teams can come back from goals. It never really happened in the past. It was seems like you could shut down a team, but Now there's just so much talent, so much firepower that, uh, you know, you've got to play for 60 minutes. And last night was a perfect example. I thought the Lightning were probably the better team for a majority of that game. And, you know, they still lose the game. But for the Leafs, um, you know, hey, give them credit. Uh, They didn't play well in both of these games in Tampa, um, but they come up with two overtime wins, and now they basically got a, a pretty good hold on the series.
0: I would say the Tampa has been the better team in three out of the four games. Yet they're down three games to one. How do they recover?
4: Well, I think it's you know it's experience that they have. Obviously, this is a team that's been to the Cup final, you know, three years in a row now and won it twice. I think they know it's one game at a time. I think they also know it's you got to go to Toronto. You've won up there before, and you you, you take it one game. You see what happens, and you don't look big picture. It's more like you know, we, we want to bring it back to Tampa and put the pressure on them and, you know, hopefully get to a game seven and anything can happen. So, tough hole to climb out of, um, but uh, it can be done.
0: Well, this is a team that out of the last three years has won two Stanley Cup championships, of course, back to back and knows how to win. What, what's the mentality of being down three games to one when you're going into that game five scenario?
4: Well, I think, you know, you know that this could be your last game. I think it's all out. I think it's, you know, it's it's the attitude of, you know, we're going to do whatever it takes to try to win this game. Uh, and you're right. I, I think this team is, has played a lot of hockey in the last little while here. Um, and they understand the situation they're in. But, you know, it is what it is, right? I think they can't be feeling sorry for themselves that, you know, hey, we played great. We played basically seven really good periods here in Tampa. and and you lose both games. Uh, It's more about it's the moment and you're going to go into Toronto. um, Obviously the building and the area is going to be rocking and uh, you kind of use that adrenaline and, 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 try to win just one game
0: last one for you you only got about a minute from the leafs perspective you're going back home it's game five you have an opportunity to put away a fantastically talented opponent the pressure's on them too because of their playoff history and if they don't get it done on thursday now you're going back to t-bay and who knows what could happen
4: yeah for sure i mean i think that they you know the what's happened in them in the past and it's not these guys specifically i think there are a few core players that have been through those playoff losses. I think they just got to put everything else aside. Forget about that we're up three-one. We we've got to win a game um, and not worry about you know, hey, who are we playing next? You know what what are we doing? You know it's it's they've really got to focus in on just this one game. And I, I think that they've learned in the past, and you know we've seen it there, where these they're gaining some experience. So you know for them it's 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 one game and, and you've won a series.
0: He's a Hamilton hockey legend, a Hall of Famer. Dave Anderchuk, former Leafs and Lightning star as well. Appreciate the time. Enjoy the rest of the series.
4: Yep. Thanks for having me on anytime you want.
0: You got it. That's Dave Anderchuk of the Tampa Bay Lightning VP of Corporate and Community Affairs.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: Cool story that has a lot of local connections, and it's all revolving around a couple of women who have written a book about hiking on trails in this city, as well as in Halton and Niagara as well. And it's all being done to help people like you and I explore these trails to their fullest. Chris Parr and Sharon Tkach are the authors of Escarpment Trails and Treks, and they join us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Chris, Sharon, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. Doing well. Excellent. Chris, we'll start with you. What motivated you to write this book?
5: Well, it was actually a group effort where there was a a group of us that regularly hiked together during this wonderful pandemic that we just managed to get ourselves through. And uh, we decided to do some more adventurous hikes together because we were sort of our own little safe bubble outside. And we started looking for suggestions for where to hike and get instructions where we could find places. And what we found was there was a deficit in the kind of hiking book that we were particularly looking for. We wanted something that was practical, that we could know where to start, where to park, um, where to, you know, we wanted to do two-hour hikes. We knew that because we found them to be just right. And we couldn't find one. So we started to to write our own with the suggestions from the, from the group as well.
0: Sharon, is this uh, more of a field guide or is it? Uh, uh, does it involve stories about the trails and the things that you can see?
6: Uh, well, the information that we give on each particular hike is um, more about uh, maybe some geographic information, historical information about the area and, uh, you know, former uses, that kind of thing.
0: Chris, how many, then,
6: tra-
0: sorry, go ahead, Sharon.
6: Sure. And then we give very concise step-by-step instructions on how to do the route that we have mapped out for the hike.
0: Okay, excellent. Chris, how many trails are covered in this book?
5: There's 24 two-hour hikes.
0: Wow. Okay. So you can, you can really, <laughs> really, uh, you know, uh, fill up a weekend with a couple of these, maybe each, each day, uh, and have a lot of fun doing so.
5: Yeah, I think you'd be going for more than a weekend, but yes, we're very <laughs> proud of the fact that we have 24 two-hour hikes because the two hours was important to us. We felt that they were just right hikes um, where you could get out, be bathed in nature, have a little bit of a workout, come back out and feel like you had done something for yourself, but... Didn't waste your whole day doing that wonderful thing for yourself because very often people found themselves exhausted after they'd done some of the Bruce Trail, like let's say for four hours. So two hours was a Goldilocks hike, meaning the just right hike.
0: That's a great point, Sharon. That, there's a lot of people who are busy, whether it's you know working and, and planning their weekends and doing something in two hours, getting the exercise that our bodies need, having fun, getting out in nature. That that's a great time frame.
6: It is. Um, we had been hiking together for a little while, and somehow what we're we're doing, we're noticing was was just that couple of hours, and and it. Um, You know, like Chris was saying, you you feel really good being outside for a while, getting away from whatever else is um, going on in your life and just enjoying yourself outside for a while and still having plenty of the day left uh, when you got back home.
0: That is uh, vitally important to many, especially in this day and age as well. Chris Parr and Sharon Takach are the authors of Escarpment Trails and Treks, joining us here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Chris, back to you. Uh, What unique features or attractions are highlighted in the book that hikers uh, experienced and inexperienced can can experience along the way?
5: So, yes, uh, there's a panel on each two-page spread of the hike, because it can be seen at a glance, um, that highlights waterfalls, ruins, historical ruins, there's so many in Hamilton because it was such an industrial area during the 1800s because of all of of our waterfalls. um, There were many grist mills and woolen mills and there are ruins that you can find and so we do highlight those. We also found that we were, there are certain trails that um, have deer and wonderful uh, sightings of heron um, woodpeckers and wonderful birds. I mean, they're just we are really, really, really fortunate to be surrounded by so many natural um, cliffs and streams and waterfalls. And so we always have a destination that you're going to and you, you see and we explain it on the side panel on the on the hike.
0: Sharon, what tips or recommendations can you provide for novice hikers who are just starting out maybe want to pick up this book and and give our trails and, and, and trekking system uh, a try?
6: Well, we do have um, a couple pages on recommendations for equipment that are um, pretty uh, useful and some are very essential for hiking. And then um, we In each particular hike, we describe the terrain very clearly. And if someone's new, you know, start with the ones that are flatter and um, would be a little easier and uh, take the time on those. And it doesn't take long to um, get used to this and to get a little bit more um, ready for some of the more hillier or challenging hikes.
0: Chris, what does uh, a good trail walk, a a nice two-hour walk in one of our amazing trails, what does that do for the mind?
5: Ah, very good question. There's a, you know, McMaster has their Optimal Aging newsletter that goes out, and I am (laughs) a senior. So (laughs) I think it's very important for us to understand that um, cognitively, when we have to negotiate an uneven trail, um, that that does synapses in your brain that helps you with your cognition and your awareness of your surroundings and your planning behavior. That's what it does for your cognition. What it does for your body, of course, is obvious because your heart and your lungs, even all your joints are involved with hiking. And you are um, learning how to stabilize your body and balance your body on an uneven ground. And as you age, that is very, very important to be able to do. So good question.
0: Sharon, last one to you. We got about 30 seconds. Where can we purchase a copy of
5: the book? Okay.
6: Well, we have the book. On Amazon and Indigo online, and uh, in a couple of local stores. And um, we have our um, G or sorry, our Gmail account is hikersdozen at gmail.com, and our Instagram account is uh, at the hikersdozen. And uh, people can follow us there and contact us through those. Uh, through those two places.
0: This is awesome stuff, Chris. Sharon, appreciate your time. Good luck with the book and uh, happy trails. Okay, thank you. you. Have a good day. You too. That is Chris Parr and Sharon Takach, authors of Escarpment Trails and Tracks. Hit them up on Instagram. Get your copy of the book today. The Hikers' Dozen is their Instagram account.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: Who knows? Later on this year, maybe in 2024. By all accounts, probably in 2025. I'm talking about the next federal election in this country. And I say, who knows, because, well, there is a liberal minority government being propped up here, there and virtually everywhere by the NDP in their supply and confidence agreement. But when the decision is made, when the writ is dropped, many pollsters are projecting that the next federal election, whenever it occurs, has the potential to be the nastiest one in this country's history. And why so? Well, let's get to the bottom of it with Clive Veroni, marketing strategist and founder of Leap Consulting, also the author of Spin, Politics and Marketing in a Divided Age. Clive, good morning. Welcome to Good Morning Hamilton. Hey, Rick. Good to be with you. What do you think could make this next election the nastiest one
7: ever? I think it's going to be the most personal uh, between Trudeau and Poliev. I think that they have a, a personal animus, uh, against each other that is going to define the tone and the uh, you know the action of this next election you know after uh, the last election i really felt that trudeau was a bit down he had lost some of his energy the air had gone out of the balloon and uh, he seemed even though he won he won in a, a, minor, a minority government he seemed defeated But, you know, when uh, Polyev got elected as leader of uh, the Conservatives, this seemed to sort of reignite Trudeau. It gave him a new mission. It gave him a new villain uh, to uh, play against, a foil against uh, to which he could compare himself. And I think Polyev, on the other hand, has been very personal in his attacks against Trudeau. So that's going to be sort of the defining... Tone of this battle between these two men, who have this great deal of personal animosity toward each other,
0: are Canadian voters uh, well prepared for more personal attacks than we've ever seen before in the in the political sphere? We know that politics is a very divisive um, industry right now, and it is filled with a lot of you know mudslinging more than ever before. Does that resonate with voters?
7: Well, you know, I I wrote a whole book about this, um, and um, one of the the underlying um, ideas in my book is that, you know, my, my background is in marketing and branding and advertising. And one of the things I noticed over the years is that marketers, as well as political strategists, viewed the world as a kind of bell curve. And the goal was always to get the middle of that bell curve as high and as wide as possible without paying a lot of attention to the sort of tapering edges of things where the more extreme views were. But now we're living in a world of an inverted bell curve, where there's virtually no middle ground and all the movement has gone to the edges. And and so you have this sort of U-shaped population with more extreme views pushing to the edges. We've seen it play out in the US. We've seen it play out in the UK. We've seen it play out across Europe. I think Canada's a little bit behind, but this might be the election where that inverted bell curve really comes to the fore. And we start to see this much more polarized, not just political parties, but electorate with more, uh, with views pushed more to the extremes.
0: Talking about the potential for the next federal election, whenever it is held, to be the nastiest one in Canada's history, with our guest Clive Veroni, marketing strategist, founder of Leap Consulting, and author of Spin, Politics and Marketing in a Divided Age. Uh, what do you think the Trudeau game plan is going to be? If you're in his corner, and what would you advise the prime minister to do during the election campaign?
7: Well, Trudeau has, I would go back to 2015 uh, and the first election uh, that Trudeau ran uh, against Harper and Mulcair, uh, where he came out as the sort of uh, progressive firebrand. And so his, he actually campaigned, you're recalling that election that the, the NDP was in the lead when the, when the election was called, they ended up in third place partly because Trudeau campaigned to the left of the NDP. The NDP was trying to show that they were ready to govern. And so they were being as cautious as possible. And Trudeau came out and said, we're going to legalize marijuana. We're going to uh, run a deficit. We're going to bring in 25,000 refugees. He ran significantly to the left of the NDP. And so he has attached to him this sort of progressive firebrand image I think in this election, many many of those things that he ran on, by the way, now seem sort of mainstream, right? And and so I think in this election, he's going to point towards Poliev to say, look how far to the right this guy has gone. He's really pushing far to the right of where most Canadians are. And now I'm the reasonable choice. I'm the sensible choice. So he's going to I don't think he's gonna shift his positions, but he's gonna say my positions now look reasonable in comparison to Polyev.
0: We have ninety seconds to jump over to the Polyev camp. What do you think his strategy should be once the writ is dropped?
7: Well, I don't I, I think his strategy is whether whether this is what it should be or not, his strategy will be to continue to push to the right. I think the Polyev campaign has decided that the 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 previous uh, election where the conservatives tried to go to the middle ground was a losing strategy. And they're going to try and pull votes from the PPC and others sort of disaffected voters on the far right. And so we're going to see a lot more doubling down from Polyev on his, you know, uh, more right-wing ideas and more provocative ideas on the right.
0: Lastly, and really quickly, if we have a extremely nasty campaign, do you think that's going to motivate more or fewer people to go to the polls?
7: Well, I think people uh, are going to be motivated more by a more polarizing campaign, to be honest. I mean, that's the sad truth of it, is that um, people have uh, passionate ideas Uh, And the more they see the opposing side uh, pushing further away from where their position is, the more ginned up they become, the more interested they become, the more motivated they become. So I think we'll actually probably have a pretty good turnout in the next election.
0: I think you're exactly right. Clive,
7: thank you for waking
0: up with us this morning on Good Morning Hamilton. Have a fantastic day. Thanks, Rick. Clive Veroni is a marketing strategist, founder of Leap Consulting and author of the book Spin Politics and Marketing in a Divided Age, making some pretty good points.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: There is an initiative called No Mo May. There's actually a hashtag, hashtag No Mo May. And it encourages homeowners to let their grass grow long to help insect pollinators. But you know, the question some people are raising is, is this a good idea? In fact, some experts say no-mo-may could actually do more harm than good. Dr. Sarah Stricker is a communications and outreach coordinator with Turfgrass Management Program at the University of Guelph and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Dr. Stricker, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. When did this no-mo-may thing start and, and how has it gained steam?
8: So it started in the United Kingdom probably about five to eight years ago. And actually it started because there were areas on the sides of the roads that had wildflowers. And the public was encouraging the city to not mow those so that the pollinators could have um a food source early in the spring. And so we're talking bees, butterflies, hoverflies, um, lots of different insects.
0: So when it comes to our lawns, uh, are you giving a thumbs up or a thumbs down to no mow may?
8: Well, first off, we're in a totally different climate. Um, and a lawn is very different than a roadside. We like to keep our lawns mowed short of uh, to keep them useful, you know, for play and for our pets to use, but also to keep us safe from harmful insects like fleas and ticks. So we say. N- no to no mow may, because not only would having tall grass around your backyard uh, increase the risk of other pests that you don't want in your near your home, uh, but it also decreases the health of your lawn. So later in the season, when you want to have that short grass, you're going to have to put in more water, more fertilizer, more seed, more inputs overall to get that grass back to what you want it to look like.
0: So when we're out with our lawn mowers, how, how tall is two tall and how short is too short when you're mowing the lawn
8: i mean too short uh probably you're probably not going less than an inch uh and height wise we usually recommend about three inches and the standard homeowner push mower uh the maximum cutting height on that is usually about three and a half inches so you really couldn't cut it higher than if you wanted uh unless you're using something like a a hand cutting scythe or something Mm -hmm.
0: So should we have our lawnmowers at the high
8: setting all the time? The high setting does decrease the uh, frequency that you have to mow. So if you don't want to mow as often, um, yes, raise your cutting height. That's a general recommendation. Um, and it does keep the turf um, healthier, and in general, probably uses a little bit less water. So yeah, uh, raising your cutting height is beneficial, but some people like it lower, and and that's okay too. It just means you're going to have to cut it more often.
0: All right, that's a good tip. Dr. Sarah Stricker is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, uh, Communications and Outreach Coordinator at the uh, Turf Grass Management Program at the University of Guelph. When it comes to the weeds that we're starting to see as well, dandelions come to mind. They're starting to pop up on lawns. Should we leave a couple here and there? or just get rid of them all in terms of uh, pollination, cross-pollination?
8: Sure. You can get rid of them if you don't like them. Um, The pollen that dandelions create is actually not a very good nutrition source. It's sort of the equivalent of what I would say candy in our diet is. Um, So if you really want to support pollinators, we recommend planting native wildflowers um, or even actually planting trees because Things like maple, willow and in the apple family, they have a really rich uh, and more diverse pollen source. Um, so a few dandelions in your yard definitely don't hurt to keep if you want to keep them. But as you know, one dandelion creates thousands of seeds. And so when you have those seed heads popping up, all of a sudden your neighbors are, might not like you as much because <laughs> they're going to spread.
0: <laughs> yeah, in our final 45 seconds, if we had a bunch of homeowners on a street who said, you know what, we're subscribing to No Mow May, we're not going to mow our lawns, what kind of impact would that have on the biodiversity of, of potentially that neighborhood?
8: I mean, theoretically, it would increase biodiversity, of course it would. Um, Sometimes biodiversity that it increases is things that we don't want, like fleas and ticks um, and rodents as well. So of course, uh, we can increase biodiversity actually in a lawn setting and keeping it mowed by increasing things like creeping buttercup or wild strawberry or crocuses, things that have developed to survive mowing conditions. So um, I would recommend that over letting grass grow long.
0: All right. Great insight from Dr. Sarah Stricker. Dr. Stricker, thank you for joining us this morning. Thanks for having us. That is Dr. Sarah Stricker from the University of Guelph. There you go. No more may. Thumbs down. There's other ways you can help uh, increase uh, the activity and the livelihood of bees and other insects. On and in around your lawn.
1: Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com.
0: The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcasts. Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode, and make sure you rate and review.